You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Welcome back. Welcome to a fresh week. Happy Monday. I'm so glad that you're here and that we are spending this time together, and I am especially thrilled to share the work of my guest with you today. Her name is Leah Carey, and she is the host of the Good Girls Talk About Sex podcast. So you know this conversation is going to be all about sex. So if you are listening to this with kids in the car or around, you might want to wait till later to do that. Just giving you a little warning. This is going to be all about sex and how to have a better sex life, even how to have a better sex life with yourself. And my guest here has an incredible story. Um, I get pitches all the time for guests to come on the show and and hers really struck me because she was someone who really didn't have any kind of sexual wherewithal. And she's very honest and upfront with that. Um, she had a very difficult childhood with, you know, an abusive father who was an alcoholic. And, you know, it wasn't until she was in her 40s that she decided that her happiness and her sexual happiness was a priority in her life. And so she kind of has an eat, pray, love journey, which I'm not going to tell you or get too much into, but it's fascinating and so, so good. And so we talk about that. And then we talk about all the things that she's learned through her own work, through her own process, and how she's using those lessons to help others as a sexual communication coach. So the story alone, I think is going to be really interesting to you. And then the tips and uh, just the lessons that she brings to this episode, I think are going to be so helpful and just really great reminders. If you already have a great sex life, good for you, (laughs) but uh, you're still going to get something from this episode. If you're, you know, wishing that your sex life could be a little more exciting, you know, a little spicier, this is definitely, definitely going to help you. So share it with at least one friend that you're not afraid to send it to. (laughs) Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and definitely share it on your Instagram stories. And there's lots of resources in the show notes from this episode. Um, You're definitely going to want to go click on those and check those out because they are very helpful and very intriguing. Enjoy the episode with Leah Carey. This episode is sponsored by Leaner Creamer. At Leaner Creamer, they believe in starting your day off healthy and lean with a cup of coffee. And their creamer is the best way to begin a new healthy chapter. Leaner Creamer is a realization that there is such a thing as a healthy, guilt-free coffee creamer. They combine natural coconut oil and functional supplements to keep your morning ritual lean and also tasting fantastic. Uh, Their creamer is perfect for anybody with dietary restrictions or just trying to start a cleaner, healthier lifestyle. Hello, my life after vacation. It's been tough. (laughs) Their creamer is gluten-free, sugar-free, lactose-free, and contains natural supplements. And they're the only all-natural powder creamer on the market. So not only does it taste creamy and flavorful, but it also doesn't leave you feeling guilty afterwards. It's paleo and keto diet friendly, making it the perfect addition to any fitness and wellness routine. And if you use the code MOTHER15, you you can save on all products at leanercreamer.com. Hello, Leah. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm excited to talk about this topic always. Uh, <laughs> we're talking <laughs> about sex today. Um, before we dive into the meat of the interview, why don't you give our listener a little bit of background about you and how you even got into doing this work? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Um, So I am a sex educator, but I came to that work fairly recently because I I spent the first 40 plus years of my life pretty sexually repressed. Mm. Um, I grew up in a home where sexuality was really, really confusing. Um, 
and frankly, I don't think that's particularly unusual um, in our culture, though it was a little bit um, heightened in my case in that my father was an alcoholic and he was fairly emotionally abusive and he was also sexually inappropriate with me. Um, he talked to me about my body and about sex in really explicit, inappropriate ways. Mm -hmm. And um, he he did a couple of times touch me in inappropriate ways. Um, but more than that, the takeaway that I had from him was sort of this overwhelming feeling, sometimes very explicitly said in words and sometimes just in how he treated me and talked to me and about me, was that I was fat and ugly and no one would ever love me. Mm. He said to me when I was about 12 that I didn't have pretty legs and boys don't like girls who don't have pretty legs, so I would never find anybody who would love me. Hmm. Um, and so I took that really, really seriously. And I spent all of my life thinking, I don't have pretty legs. There's nothing I can do about that. So I guess I'm just destined to never be loved. Mm. Um, at the same time, he also was saying to me that he was going to lock me in my room until I was 30 and break the kneecaps of any boy who ever looked at me which was really, really confusing. Some mixed messaging, yeah. Right? Like, am I completely unattractive and undesirable or am I so desirable that I have to be protected from the entire world? Wow. And so what I did with that was just to withdraw and, mm-hmm. and not, not really try to date. I mean, internally, <laughs> I was like, I want all the love. I want Aww. all the cuddles. I want all the everything. But when it came to actually trying to get it, I just, I didn't participate. I didn't have my first real relationship until I was 25. And I didn't have sex for the first time until I was 25. And at that point, because my father had told me that I was so unlovable, I chose the first person who, and actually that's a a total fallacy. There were lots of other people who showed up wanting to love me, Mm -hmm. but because they were good, kind people, I didn't recognize them. I, you know, they were not telling me that I was fat and ugly and unlovable. So I didn't recognize that. Sure. And so the first person who showed up and mimicked those messages for me was the first person I got involved with. And then I got into a series of relationships with varying levels of emotional abuse, Um, never physical abuse. That was not something I experienced. And therefore it was something for me that I was clearly able to say, no, I'll never accept that. Mm -hmm. But the emotional abuse I was all in for because that's all I knew. So talk to me about the turning point. You know, when when did you cuz obviously the work you're doing now is so different. You're so much more empowered. You're empowering others. How did that come about? <laughs> yeah. Um so I had gone back to therapy uh quite frankly, not to turn this into a political conversation, but when I saw Donald Trump on TV, I got really triggered as so many women did. Mhm. And I went back into therapy, um, quickly learned that the reason that I was so triggered by him was because he reminded me so much of my dad. Mm. And so I was 
with that framework of finally being able to like put some names and understanding around some things I had never understood before, these sort of narcissistic qualities, I was suddenly able to do a lot of deep diving um, in therapy and move through a lot of stuff much more quickly than I ever had before. And part of that was me finally saying to my therapist, um, I when I have sex, I don't have sexual sensation. Hmm. And she was brilliant. She, her response was, well, that's not my area of expertise. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> you know, I'm really, really grateful that she didn't try to wade into waters that were not her expertise. Yeah. But what she did was give me permission. She basically said, I have faith in you to explore this and to find some healing. And it was the first time that I ever sort of took in the message that maybe I wasn't broken. Maybe Mm -hmm. I wasn't the problem. Maybe there was healing available to me. And then I went on this sort of incredible healing journey at age 42 around Mm -hmm. sexuality and my relationship with my body. Now, didn't you take an actual journey? Like you traveled and... and I did. So how did that... I mean, where did you go? What was... what? I mean, it kind of sounds like an eat, pray, love kind of story where you're just... <laughs> you're really coming into your own. So where did you go? What did you do? Yeah. So um, my mom had passed away. Uh, she mm. and I were very, very close. Um, and once she was gone, there was not a good reason for me to stay in Northern New Hampshire, which is where I had been and where I'd grown up. Um, And so I took some of the money um, that I got from selling her house and decided to go on an extended solo road trip around the country. Um, I didn't have a particular destination. I just knew that I wanted to find the next place that I was going to live. Um, And like, that was what I told myself. (laughs) What actually ended up happening was... I was just sort of travel. I was following my nose. I would get up each morning and say, okay, I think that today I want to go here or Mm. I want to see this thing or gosh, I'm really tired. I want to spend a couple of days holed up in a hotel room watching TV. Um, But what I did was really go on this intensive sexual exploration. So when I got to New York City, and you can find anything in New York. <laughs> um, I some friends had I had reached out to some friends and said I really want to explore this idea of sexual healing, and I have absolutely no idea how to go about it. Do you have any suggestions? Like, what are the kinds of things that I could try? And uh, one of my friends had written back and said, um, look up tantric massage or yoni massage, uh, yoni being the Eastern word for vagina. Um, And that sounded really terrifying, (laughs) but I was also like, well, I'm I'm doing all of the things, so let me try this. Um, And so... Yeah, while I was in New York, I I did a search for tantric massage 
And, um, and that took me into the sex worker space. Um, I ended up on, this was uh, before Craigslist personals was taken down and, and before some of the crackdowns happened online um, in the last couple of years. But I, um, I was on sort of boards that, uh, that were sex, sex workers promoted mm-hmm. themselves because even though this is a healing art, because it's dealing with sexual energy, um, that qualifies these people as sex workers. And, uh, there are not other places where they can promote themselves. Um, so I suddenly had a lot of exposure to the sex worker community and I've, I've now become a really kind of passionate advocate for sex workers because I received so much healing, um, from through their work. Um, but so I found this woman in New York and I had a session with her And, you know, I went in saying, I don't have sexual sensation. I don't understand what's wrong with me. Why, like, why am I so broken? Hmm. And she did a session. It was a three-hour session. It was extremely intense. I was extremely scared when I walked in, but she was so gentle and kind and loving. And at the end of the session, she sat me down and she said, let's talk for a few minutes. She said, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. And those were like, those were the three words, you know, you're not broken. Um, that, that opened the door for me. Um, and what I learned through that work with her And I only did one session with her, but what I learned was the reason that I wasn't having sensation was that I had never relaxed during Mm. sex. I had never felt safe enough to just relax. And that's where the sensation is. Um, And so after, after I heard that you're not broken, you just have some some work to do around learning how to feel. Um, I started, <laughs> I started going and like, I, I went onto Craigslist personals and I, mm-hmm. you know, as I was traveling and I went on dating apps and I started allowing myself to consider the possibility that maybe I was attractive enough for people to want to engage with me. Um, that was a massive shift for me. Um, and then to actually have those experiences where over and over and over, I heard from people who were utterly unrelated to each other in lots of different parts of the country. I heard the same messages over and over again. Your skin is so soft. I love your curly hair. You've got an amazing ass. <laughs> you know, like I love kissing you. Uh, I just heard those same messages over and over from different people. And you know, there's this idea that, well, it, in order for somebody else to love you, you have to love yourself first. Mm-hmm. I think there's some truth to that, but I also think there's some fallacy to that those of us who were not properly mirrored as children, 
we didn't get the basic structure of Mm -hmm. how to do that for ourselves. And I needed some other people to give me that messaging that I never heard. Obviously, it would have been inappropriate for my father to say (laughs) to me those things. Right. But like at an age appropriate level, I didn't get that proper mirroring. And so to get that as an adult was really paramount for me to begin shifting my experience of my own sexuality and my relationship with myself and my body. That's so incredible. And what a journey. I mean, I think 99% of the population who might have had a similar upbringing would never go out on a journey like that, you know, put themselves out there, get on these sites and, and do the work. I mean, it really is work and, you know, and, and to yeah. be, to be in that space and to be open to that, I think that's so beautiful and brave. And I'm just in awe of you right now. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, you're right. It is work. And I don't ever want to tell my story and have somebody hear it and be like, oh my God, you mean I have to go do that in order <laughs> to have some healing? No, yes, you don't. No. <laughs> like I am the kind of person who, when I get ready to do something, I go all in, like hmm. all in. Um, but there are there are other ways to go about this work. Absolutely. And you don't have to jump off the cliff in order to do it. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, for yeah. the for the woman listening to this, she might be married with kids, yes. um, maybe feeling a little stagnant, bored, you know, humdrum. What are some things that she can do? Maybe she's never had an orgasm or maybe she's never really been that excited sexually because you're right. We are so conditioned to be, you know, virgins until we get married. And then we're supposed yeah. to be like, animals in the bedroom. I think it's ridiculous what our culture puts us through. Um, so talk about some ways that she can kind of wake up that, that energy within her. Absolutely. So the first thing is, I think it's really, really important to recognize how we were socialized. So those of us who grew up in little girl bodies and were socialized as little girls, primary, and these are going to be broad generalizations, But primarily, we learned to put on a pretty dress and not get it dirty. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. we learned um, to take care of the people around us before we took care of ourselves. Um, You know, little girls are given dolls and told to mother them from the time that they are we, we little girls. You know, when it comes to clearing the table and doing the dishes, that is often done by the little girls with their moms. So they're being taught just not necessarily through words, but just through like, what are we absorbing through the culture? We are learning to take care of everyone else first before we take care of our own needs, if our own needs ever even become a question. So how that, and I don't ever want someone to hear this and be like, well, the, you know, men get all the good stuff because it's not true. People who were socialized as little boys learned that they had to fix every problem, that they had to have all of the answers and that they needed to never ask. Like, it's a joke that men never ask for directions, but literally they have been socialized to not ask questions. Mm -hmm. They're just supposed to know. So imagine these two people coming into a bedroom together. There's the one who is taught, has, has been taught to not look after her own needs, to only take care of her partner. 
Um, and there's one who has been taught to never ask questions and always get it right. <laughs> this is not the recipe for two people who have any idea how to communicate and get their needs met in the bedroom. And you might hear that and be like, oh, well, then it must be so much easier for same-sex couples. Not in the least. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you just said that. Because then you have two people who have grown up in the same messaging, Mm -hmm. playing out the same same stories. Um, So, like, nobody gets off easy. In this particular scenario. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> exactly. So the first thing that we have to learn, uh, and now I'm going to go back to just addressing women. Um, we need to learn, first of all, to ask ourselves, what is it that I want? You know, so often moms come to me and say, I wish my partner would touch me differently. I just, I don't get excited by the way Mm -hmm. he touches me. And I say, okay, great. Like this is exciting, juicy stuff. So how do you want him to touch you? And they get the deer in the headlights look. And Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, I never thought about that. I just know that I don't like what he's doing. Mm. So the, the first question is, well, what do you want? What excites you? And then once we've identified that, then we can address how do you communicate that to your partner in a way that allows your partner to give it to you. So that's like two really big topics. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So the first half, it's astonishing how few of us have ever thought about what we actually want in the bedroom. Or if we have thought about it, we've sort of been ashamed yes. of thinking about it. Because like, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to be a good girl or I'm the sort of quintessential soccer mom. So I'm not supposed to think about, uh, you know, uh, being restrained in bed. Like that's not something that a, a nice girl does. But if that's what turns you on, it's really okay. Uh, that you would be amazed at how many nice moms mm-hmm. <laughs> are doing things in the bedroom that don't fit your idea of what a nice mom does. <laughs> <laughs> so if if there are people who are listening who are thinking, I how do I even begin thinking right. about what I want? Um, there are some really sort of easy ways to ease yourself into this. The first is to think about uh, if you have sexual dreams, and not everybody does, so if you don't, you're not broken, there's nothing wrong with you, but if you have sexy dreams, what do you dream about? If you have fantasies, like awake time fantasies, what are you fantasizing about? And think of, and if you can, for a few minutes, just let down any judgment you might have about what that thing is, and just get honest with yourself about what is the thing that really turns me on when I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, then if, if neither of those things hit for you, and that's fine if they don't, um, the next thing I suggest is to start thinking about when you're watching TV or movies, what are the things that get you kind of turned on when you see them? 
And um, when you do recognize those things, pay attention. Like when, if you're watching TV, let's say you're watching Grey's Anatomy because they have all of the sex scenes, (laughs) (laughs) or at least they used to. I haven't watched it in several years. (laughs) Um, Like when you're watching. Grey's Anatomy or whatever your version of that is, and you get to a scene where you're like, oh, that's hot. Mm -hmm. Spend a few minutes thinking, what specifically was it that I found so hot? Was it the actual way that they were touching each other? Was it the fact that they were, you know, in a supply closet and there was like that element of being found out? Was it the way that they were speaking to each other? Was it the words they were using? the way that they were looking at each other. Was it that he had a cowboy hat and cowboy boots on? (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. all of those things can be turn-ons. It's not just the specific act. It's It's like the entire energy of the act and what specific piece of it is the thing that gets you excited. Um, So that's a visual way to go about it. For people who really like words, I would suggest going to books, um, going to erotica. Um, you can, in, in your local bookstore, you can find, uh, well, depending on where you live, <laughs> <laughs> you can find compilations of women's erotica. Um, I would definitely suggest that you stick to ones that are labeled women's erotica, um, they're, they, unless they're specifically labeled lesbian, they're going to still be male-female mm-hmm. interactions in them, um, but they're wi- written from a woman's point of view and not from the, the male gaze, the, you know, the way that men get turned on. Right. They're written around the way women get turned on because they are very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so start looking at some of those compilations. So you get a whole bunch of stories all in one and you can see lots of different things and taste lots of different things. Um, If you don't want to have a physical book sitting around your house, if that's like (laughs) still too scary, that's okay. There's a website called Literotica, um, L-I-T-E-R-O-T-I-C-A, literotica.com. There are some, uh, some explicit ads on the pages that you will see, but you can go to uh, the stories and um, within that, there are all sorts of categories and you can search by tag. So if you're like, I'm kind of curious about spanking, but I'm not sure how I feel about it, do a search for spanking and then read some of those stories and see if they are titillating for you. And that's like a great way to, to try out lots of different things. The, that website, Literotica, is mm-hmm. all user submitted. So some of them are amazing and some of them are just so terribly written. <laughs> <laughs> so, so depending on your like tolerance for bad writing, don't judge the, the actual sexual act by the writing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's all for research. It's all exactly. good. What about, what are your thoughts on watching porn? If that is something that you're interested in, I know that there are a lot of people who have really um, heightened reactions to porn, either positive or negative. So if it's something that really is upsetting to you or scary to you, don't go there. There's no reason to force yourself. If it's something that is of interest to you, absolutely. Um, 
again, I highly recommend that you do start looking for um, female centric. Mm. Um, It's often made by women for women. Again, you can find plenty of heterosexual interaction if that's what you're looking for, but it doesn't have, you know, in traditional porn, there's sort of the, the pizza guy comes to the door. She says, why don't you come in for a minute? And all of a sudden they're both naked and banging. Right. <laughs> like, right. And, and that is not, that is very cultivated for the masculine way mm-hmm. of getting the testosterone induced way of getting turned on. The estrogen way of getting turned on is a little more complex than that. It takes a little more time and it takes a little more finesse. (laughs) So if you are interested in porn, um, and Liz, I am blanking out. I have the names of a few great female directors. I can send them to you to put in the show notes because I'm not coming up with them right now. For sure. Definitely. I will definitely take those and then add those in after. Um, so yeah, I I think we definitely covered a lot of ground. I mean, I think everyone, whether you're married or not, whether you have kids or not, we've all been in a spot like when we're, whether you're single or not, where you're just kind of like, I don't know if I'm really satisfied anymore, you know? Um, so I mean, what's, what's a big takeaway that you can leave the listener with so that she can go into her day, maybe starting today and kind of awaken that energy, feel, feel more empowered and really get that spark back because I hate that phrase. Cause it's like, to me, so cliche, but I think cliches are that way because there's truth to them. <laughs> yes. So how can, how can she bring that spark back to her sexuality? Well, I think so often part of the problem is that we're focusing on our partner instead of ourselves. Mm. And so if you really feel like you are um, tired of the way things have been going, it's kind of boring Um, it's stale, or maybe you haven't been having sex at all, start with yourself. Start thinking about what it is that would get you excited instead of trying to think about what is it I can do to get my partner turned on, start with yourself, because so rarely is that where we've started. Um, Also, I think it's really important to address quickly that if you are still in that phase of life where your body, you have, you know, newborns or toddlers where Mm. your body is still being used as a feeding station at a jungle gym, Mm -hmm. there is nothing, nothing wrong with you if you have a lowered sex drive. All of your energy is being put out to your little little ones. And then you have a partner coming to you and being like, I want all of that energy that used to be given to me. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you have a finite amount of energy. There's nothing wrong with you. If you're like, I can't do it all. Um, In that situation, what I highly recommend is to start thinking about flipping the script. It's not that your partner wants to have sex and therefore you have to take care of them too, which is how it is often thought about. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, I have a baby and a toddler and my husband is acting like a child too who wants my attention. Like that's that's something that I hear. Start thinking about it as if you're giving all of your attention out 
to your children, you need someone to fill your tank. And you can have sexual interaction with your partner in a way that helps you to fill your tank where you are the recipient of the touch rather than always the one who is giving over your body to your partner's pleasure. I love that reframing. I love that so, so, so much. Yeah, I think it's really important and it helps to relieve this idea that I'm broken because I've had kids and now I have no libido, which is such a common story that I hear. Oh my God, yeah. And think about too, like, you know, I know a lot of women who when they have their first children, you know, there's a lot of infidelity on the husband's part because he's not getting quote unquote Mm -hmm. what he needs at home Mm -hmm. and there's this new baby and it's flipping everything upside down. And so he goes off and that just causes like this compounding of issues. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think that kind of reframing really does empower the mother to be, you know, like you said, the recipient recipient of Mm -hmm. that love, that attention to fill her own tank. But what would you say to the woman who's like, you know, I'm tired of being touched all day. Like, I don't want to be touched. How can she still get what she needs? So there is something, a, a basic human touch need. And everyone's touch need is going to be slightly different. If you think about when when we're babies, we require a certain amount of touch. And babies who don't get that amount of touch go into into a condition called failure to thrive. Mm -hmm. And then we become toddlers and larger children and then eventually adults. and, And that whole idea goes out the window, like we totally forget, but that touch need never goes away. Mm. There is a minimal touch need, which is like, I need this much touch in order to feel like I'm a functional human being, but there's also a maximal human touch need. Like I have had this much touch and I am now done. Yeah. And that's what happens, especially to moms of toddlers, um, who, again, whose bodies are being used as a jungle gym, they reach their maximal touch need and they're like, I'm out, I'm done. It's like 11 (laughs) a.m. They're they're done. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And again, it's really, really okay to recognize that and to admit it to yourself. Mm. Um, I would still start thinking about part of the reason that that touch that that touch feels so overwhelming is because you are being so much of your energy is being required to go out mm-hmm. if you feel like i just don't want any more touch at all that's okay there's there's nothing wrong with that but if you if you hear this and you're like ooh that's interesting I have given out as much touch as I can handle, but I want to take in some loving, nurturing touch that is not sexual. That is, I think, a place where a lot of women do want more touch. They just don't quite know how to ask for it because um, we in this culture have not gotten a really good lesson on the fact that there is a distinction between sensual intimate touch and sexual touch. And so if we sit down to cuddle with our partner, we assume that immediately at some point it's going to turn into sex and we don't Mm -hmm. want the sex. So we don't ask for the cuddling. Um, 
And so I actually, um, if it's okay with you, Liz, I have something uh, that I can offer to your listeners. Yes. Um, an exercise. It's on my website. Uh, so leahcarry.com forward slash uh, three minute game. Um, and it's a way for you to start playing with this idea of how can I ask for the touch that I want without it turning into sex? I can ask for exactly the touch that I want and get it and only that. And then, so the game is that you lay down and your partner says to you, how would you like me to touch you for three minutes? And you get to tell them. And then they do that and only that for three minutes. And then you switch positions and you say to them, how would you like me to touch you for three minutes? And the beauty of that piece is that all of the pressure is taken off because they're Mm -hmm. giving you really specific instructions. You don't have to guess. You don't have to try to like keep it interesting. You're just doing exactly what they ask for. Oh my God. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. <laughs> well, and it's and not it, a one-time thing. You can do it as often as you want. I love that. No. And it's like, we talked earlier about communication and really knowing how you want to be touched. I mean, that makes you have to decide right there yes. in that moment, you know, and maybe you'll find out that you really like your feet touch and you never really <laughs> knew that. <laughs> right. Exactly. And um, maybe you'll find out that you always thought that you want wanted your neck bitten in a certain way and they do it and you're like, oh yeah, you know what? I don't really want that. (laughs) Excellent. Good information. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And again, talking about like changing things up and making things different, like that is totally different than, you know, your normal Tuesday night, like having a structured game like that. Like that's brilliant. I love it. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, so yeah, come download that. It's, I've got, got specific instructions for you so that you can do that with your partner, hopefully introduce it to them in a way that feels welcoming as opposed to scary. Um, and, (laughs) and yeah, start exploring some different ways of touching each other so that it is more nurturing so that it is more fulfilling and less like, Oh, now we have to go have Tuesday night sex. (laughs) No, for real. And I'm so glad that you said that because that I think is one of the main issues with married women and men. It's like, well, if I do this, then we're absolutely going to be having sex and I don't have to go through that whole rigmarole. And so you just avoid all physical contact and that kills a relationship. I feel like, like touch is everything in, in a partnership, in a relationship. Like I'll notice like my husband, if I'm not like being affectionate enough with him, like he, he's a great communicator. He will tell me and I'm like, Oh crap. You know, like I wasn't even, it wasn't even on my radar. And I think Mm -hmm. that so many couples are experiencing this. Yeah. I hear so frequently. There is this idea in our culture that men want more sex and women don't want sex. And I will tell you from the conversations that I have, that that is an absolute fallacy. Mm -hmm. There are, obviously, there are individuals for whom that is true, but the vast majority of women who I speak to who are in this situation where the sex life isn't what they want it to be, the vast majority of them say to me, I want to have more sex. I just need it to be different. Mm. And I don't know how, because my husband you know, 
we have a quick cuddle and then he goes straight for the boobs <laughs> and yeah. the bang. Um, he, that's not what I want. That's not what I need. And so I just, I don't have sex at all, but I want more sex. I just need it to be more connected. I need it to be more nurturing. I need to feel like we are actually present in the same space together. Um, and and if I could get up on my soapbox for just a moment, <laughs> um, it what I believe the issue is is that as little girls, we had we were given a, a large vocabulary of touch. We you know probably again broad generalizations, but um, we cuddled with our mom. We sat on our dad's lap. We got hair stroking from our grandmother or whatever it was in Mm -hmm. your family. And then we went to sleepovers and we did each other's hair and we did each other's nails and we gave each other massages. Like we have this entire vocabulary of intimate non-sexual touch. People who are socialized as little boys around it and in every family it's a little different but somewhere between the ages of like six and eleven little boys stop being touched by their family Hmm. and um by the age of like 10 they stop touching their friends because they start getting the message that that's gay Mm -hmm. And so the only outlet that they have for non-sexual touch is sports, Yeah, is very aggressive energy, which means that while as those of us who are socialized as little girls have this entire vocabulary of touch, people who are socialized as little boys have sex and sports. Wow. Aggressiveness or, you know, love. There's nothing in between for them. So they have no vocabulary for cuddling that doesn't lead to sex. That's just never been taught to them. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. So it is as as frustrating as this might be for those people who are already dealing with like the mental load and all of that (laughs) that goes with motherhood. Like here's another bit. We have to educate our male partners. We have to help them to develop this vocabulary around intimate non-sexual touch. And first, the first step to that is recognizing that it's even a thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And I think any woman, any mother listening to this who has little boys, I have two little boys, like I'm going to make more of a concerted effort to cuddle with them and stroke their hair and do all of those like non-sexual but intimate touch that they need you know they're they're human beings like they need that love exactly good so going back going back to that idea of the touch need little boys have it just as much as little girls do we just don't give them the same outlet for it yeah and I feel like if you do that they're not going to be flying off the handle they're going to ask for help they're going to ask questions and it's not I don't think feminizing them in any way it's just making them a whole person Right. Yeah. I mean, if this idea, if you buy into this idea of toxic masculinity, which Mm -hmm. I do, part of that is the idea that any kind of touch is somehow feminizing. Right. And that is so dangerous because every one of us has a touch need 
men included. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Okay. So we are at the point of the interview where I ask you some rapid fire questions. Yes. Okay. Number one, sexuality is. Mm, Sexuality is exciting. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it is an inherent part of who we are and everybody's is going to be a little different. Like some people are asexual and that's fine. That is still a sexuality. Like that is still um, a way of interacting with yourself and, and it is entirely appropriate. Uh, So yeah, sexuality is something to be explored. How about that? I love it. Um, Okay. A word to describe your life thus far. Ever changing. (laughs) and lastly what's something that you've learned in life that you wish someone would have told you earlier on you know it's so hard I knew you were going to ask that question and I've been thinking about it because I think earlier on if somebody had said these things to me I wouldn't have been able to hear them Mm. but I wish that I would have been able to take in the message that there was nothing wrong with me. I wasn't broken because I spent so much of my life wandering around wondering what was wrong with me Hmm. and not seeing the love that was available to me. Well, luckily for everyone that you're helping and yourself, that time has passed. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So where can I listener find you online? Listen to your podcast, um, Instagram, social, all the things. So please come listen to Good Girls Talk About Sex. Um, That's my podcast where I do deep dive interviews with women about their sexuality. Uh, It's not expert interviews. It's just women talking about their sex lives. Um, And it's really, really fun. (laughs) (laughs) So that's Good Girls Talk About Sex. My website is leahcarey.com, L-E-A-H-C-A-R-E-Y.com. And my, all of my social, uh, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube are all good girls talk. I love it. Oh, thank you so much for sharing your light, your expertise, just your personal journey. I think, I mean, I'll say it again, like what you did was so incredibly brave and to do it, you know, without shame and with courage in your heart, I think is just so inspirational. Like, God, I love it. Thank you so much, Liz. I, I really, I love having these conversations and I just, I love the space that you create for people. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You have been listening to the Motherhood Unstressed podcast and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, if you love this episode, please share it with at least one friend. Tag us on your Instagram stories. That's a great way to support the show. Make sure that you're subscribed so that you never miss out on a morning meditation or on an interview with an incredible person doing incredible work in the world. Um, And if you haven't already, um, please hit those five stars on Apple Podcasts because it really does uh, boost the show's rating and just it gets the message out to more and more listeners. So thank you. 